Hi there, I'm Ravi. And I'm Mara. Thanks for joining us today on Torah Time. We love learning together, and we're excited to learn with you. Hey, Ima, after Yom Kippur this year, my friend asked me how my year was going. What did you say, Ravi? So far, so good. You think of Yom Kippur jokes really quickly, Ravi. Yeah, you might say I'm pretty fast all by feet. Now, let's hear about what the Torah has to say about Yom Kippur in the Yovel year in this week's Parsha. It's a double Parsha again this week. We combine Bahar and Bechukotai. In our story, B'nai Yisrael are still in the desert. But our Parshiot describes some of the rules they'll need to observe when they leave the desert and arrive in Eretz Yisrael. Every seven years, the land gets to have a kind of Shabbat, a rest year called Shemitah. During this year, no farming is allowed and all the crops are available for anyone to eat. Shemitah happens every seven years. So year number seven is a Shemitah year. Year number 14 is the next one. Right up through year number 49. That's right. And then the 50th year is something called Yovel. It's kind of like a super Shemitah, a total reset for the land. Just like during Shemitah, no one can work the land. Plus, all land gets returned to its original owners. Let's learn more from the Torah about Yovel, that special 50th year. We're going to hear the words of the Torah now. It's okay if you don't understand them all. Just close your eyes and listen. Unless you're a farmer plowing your field, then try to stay in a straight line and watch out for the rocks. Ready? We're in the first aliyah. Ve'ha'avarta shofar tru'ah b'chodesh hashvi'i be'asor la'chodesh be'yom ha'kipurim Ta'aviru shofar b'chol artsechem vekidashtem et shnat hachamishim shana ukratem deror ba'aretz l'chol yoshveha yovel hi t'yelachem v'shavtem ish al achuzato you shall sound the shofar on the tenth day of the seventh month. On Yom Kippur, you shall sound the shofar throughout your land. You shall make the fiftieth year holy. You shall proclaim freedom throughout the land for everyone living there. It shall be a yovel for you. You shall return to your ancestral land and family. So, Ravi, what do you notice, or what questions do you have about these psukim? I mean, they're very different, because one is about Yom Kippur, and the other one is about Shemitah and Yovel. Let's figure out if we can make a connection between them somehow. So, what's the first one about? Um, what you should do on Yom Kippur by sounding the shofar on the 10th day of the 7th month. Okay, so we've got a shofar sounding on Yom Kippur, and then the second pasuk is about what? Uh, like land and Yovel and Shemitah. Yeah. Okay, so I wonder what could be 
What might be the thing that connects and draws the line from one to the other? Well, the shofar and Yom Kippur are very holy, and Shemitah and Yovel would also be very holy because that's when anybody who needs can come and eat food. So even if somebody wasn't able to get food for like a week, they would still be able to get food on the 50th year and every seven years if they weren't able to buy it. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying it might be this idea of holiness and bringing holiness in that's connecting between the two? Yeah. Okay. I wonder a little bit more about the symbol of a shofar, right? When do we sound the shofar? Uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. And are there other stories that come to mind where the shofar has been a part of it or a symbol in it that you can think of? There's one I'm thinking about that has to do with Avraham and Yitzchak. Do you remember when Avraham was told to sacrifice Yitzchak? And so he takes him up, gets ready to sacrifice him, but then what appears in the bushes instead? A ram. I'm thinking about another time, too, when Moshe is up on Har Sinai. (gasps) Oh, yeah, and there's like thunder and lightning and fire and stuff like that, and then the shofar gets sounded. Yeah. Because it's like, oh my God, this big thing's going to happen and everybody gets scared. Uh Uh-huh. So if we've got these other moments in the Torah where the shofar or a ram is showing up, I wonder if that helps us understand a, a connection between the shofar sounding at Yom Kippur and what the shofar has to do with holiness. What do you think? Well, the shofar and rams have been in like big events in the Torah, but... I don't really know how that has to connect with holiness. Well, I wonder well, if all of the stories are holy, like because Abraham trusted God and then Moshe trusted God to give them good, fair commandments. So maybe there's something about trust and faith and holiness that are all wrapped up together. Yeah. When also building on what you're saying, it makes me think about maybe if the shofar is some kind of a symbol for. Um, for holiness or a symbol that something big is happening, it's it's like this, wake up, pay attention, something important is happening now or is about to happen. So maybe the shofar sounding is sort of waking us up to the fact that whatever's in the next pasuk is going to be really important. It's like an alarm clock. Can you close your eyes and imagine that we are at the time of, of Yom Kippur when that shofar blast is going to sound at the end of the day. What does that stir up for you? What kind of feeling does that stir up for you when you when you imagine hearing the sound of the shofar? Kind of like a good job. You guys made it. Like, let's do it again tomorrow <laughs> and the next year. Right. But like as a celebration, like remember when Abba was writing like a paragraph and when you when he turned it in, confetti fell down. So it's kind of like a yay, you did it. Yay, you did it. But imagine somebody put confetti in it. Whoa. And then when they blasted it, kaboom. (laughs) Confetti everywhere. Maybe I'll do that next year. I don't know about that. So now what does any of that have to do with the Yovel, this 50th year, or proclaiming freedom throughout the land? What do you think? What does it mean to proclaim freedom? To say, this is what I have, and like I'm going to get, and I'm going to give freedom. To proclaim something isn't just to 
sort of say it and what if we're going to proclaim it, we are going to shout it from the rooftops, right? Now, why would we want to do that about freedom throughout the land for everyone living there? Well, freedom's a big thing. And when somebody does that, it's like we all have freedom, everyone in this land. Yeah, it feels like a pretty big deal to me, right? Because remember, one of the things that happens in this Yovel year is that all of the land gets returned to its sort of original rightful owner. And actually, anyone who was enslaved, their freedom is granted. So on this the is Yovel a, or on the Shemitah? On the, on the Yovel year. That's every 50 year? Mm-hmm. Why not it be every Shemitah year? Because that means a slave has to work for 50 years. But let's say they're already 60. That means if they were ever to give out of slavery on the 50th year, they'd be 110. Yeah, it's a really good question. Who would enslave somebody? That's my question. That's such a good question. The pharaoh. <laughs> yeah. Ravi, I have the same question. And actually, when our Torah talks about people being enslaved, I wonder that too. Those feel like really hard parts of the Torah for me to read and to really understand because it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a world that I can't fathom that people would be enslaving other people or that especially that Jews, after everything that they went through being slaves in Egypt, that they would enslave other people. Yeah. Cause even in the Haggadah, it says like, I know this is what like uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians did to us when while I was in Egypt. Um, so why should I do it back? Like, why should I do it to somebody else when I know what it's like? Yeah. I, I It's such a good big question. And maybe there's a piece of things that, that the Torah is telling us, even if you fall into enslaving someone when, I don't know, maybe you know you shouldn't, this Yovel comes around every 50 years to sort of set it right and to say this is the way that it, that it should be. What I don't understand is you shall return to your ancestral... Ancestral. Yep, that. Land and family. What about it do you have questions about? What does it mean by you will, you will return? Because what about if your family was born in Egypt. Does that mean you have to walk all the way back to Egypt? No, it has more to do, I think, with land was originally divided between the tribes. And so every 50 years, you get a reset back to the the original tribal divisions. So like if you had a war and you took over another part of the land on Yovel, you'd have to give it back to them? Yeah. If Don's tribe got into a war with Shimon's tribe, on Yovel, would Don have to give, would the Don tribe have to give back whatever they took because of the war back to Shimon's tribe? Yeah, it certainly seems like that from what we're reading in the Torah, right? Remember, because all of these land divisions were sort of, were initially determined by God. Each, each tribe got its particular land according to what God lays out for each, of the, for each of the tribes, right? So it's somehow like restoring it back to the way that God intended it, maybe. So at the end of Yovel, it's just like 
God hit like the reset button on a YouTube video. <laughs> that is sort of what it's like, yeah. So what do you think the big idea is there? Why is it important to have some kind of reset button? Because there, there, there can be a lot of changes and some unfair changes. And God wants everything to be fair. So God will say, like, put it back how it was and then do whatever you want for 49 years. But at the 50th year, you have to give it back and put it back to how it was when I had it. I'm wondering, is there a holiday connection you can make to when we hit that sort of reset button and put things back to the way it should be? Shabbat. I think about Shabbat in sort of a mini way, right? Each week, almost like the Shemitah every seventh year where we get a little bit of a reset, right? Each Shabbat, we get a little bit of a reset, but there's a holiday that's known as the like Shabbat of all Shabbats. What's another holiday similar to that? Oh, Yom Kippur. Wait a minute. Our Torah talked about that in the Pasuk just above. Ah, yes. Yom Kippurim. On Yom Kippur, you should sound the shofar throughout your land. So if we're talking about a reset to the land every 50th year. Because at Yom Kippur, you're supposed to like reset your choices and like you're supposed to get back any forgiveness you needed. And also on Yom Kippur, instead of saying like, I uh, punch somebody, it's we punch somebody. Let's talk about that idea. You're right. On Yom Kippur, we make these confessions of our sins, not by saying I did it, but by saying we did it. What's the what's the power of the collective there? Because it makes the people who did it feel a little bit better that like the people in the congregation care that you made a mistake and care about you still, and you can make a new set of choices. And like, They'll forgive you and help you along the way. Yeah, and how do you how do you think that relates to, or do you think that relates to our second pasuk about proclaiming freedom in the land and everything sort of being returned to its reset state? Like, what does that have to do with communal versus individual? Well, throughout the community, you have to put it back to the way they were on Yovel, to put it back the way it was, and... On Yom Kippur, you're supposed to like restart your choices. So really, Yom Kippur is more about what you did, but then the congregation helping you. And um, Yovel and Shemitah is about like the com- whole community. Yeah. And I think also, even when Yom Kippur feels very personal and individual, it's actually something that we do in a collective, in a community, because I don't know, maybe we have to hold each other all accountable for making those better choices or being different in the in the next year. And I think the same thing might be true for like how it functions on a big level of society that maybe individuals could make lots of different choices, either about owning slaves or what they're doing with their land that they inherited. But on the 50th year in this Yovel, it gets reset. Ravi, I loved learning with you today, and we can talk more about the Parsha with the rest of our family over Shabbat. What do you think we should ask everyone at our Shabbat table? When is a time you have told the people you care about to make a big reset on their choices? Hmm, good question. So Ravi, Bahar B'chukotayr, the last Parshiot in Sefer Vayikra, 
So this is the last episode of our season. What did you think about Safer Vayikra? Um, it had a lot of interesting partiot with all the sacrifices and learning about how the priests uh, understood their job and how Moshe told the priests their job. Yeah, I agree with you. Was there something that we learned together that sort of changed the way you thought about something? When we learned about the Korbanot and there was a Tamid always fire, and I thought of it as like it was always going. Then I got a new perspective of you from like they must, but we don't really know what it meant as always, like forever. Or was it just like a, they felt it forever? Yeah, or did it renew day by day? So it was always because it was every day, but it wasn't always lasting. Yeah. What's your favorite part about us learning Torah together? That I give you my perspective on something. And then you said, like you say, that's very interesting. And then you give me your perspective on it. Yeah, I like when you help me see things from a new from a new way before, or when I think maybe you're going to say one thing, but actually you bring a totally different perspective into the conversation. Would you recommend to other kids your age to try learning Parsha with their parents? Yeah, just add some jokes. Ravi, should we sing our special Safer Vayikra song for all of our listeners? Of course. Wait, what's the first Parsha again? Of Safer Vayikra? Oh yeah, that thing. Ravi, do you remember that special line that we say every time we finish a book of the Torah? Sure do. Thank you so much for being part of our Torah time. We're going to take a little break, but we hope you'll keep learning Bamidbar, the next book of the Torah. In fact, you can learn together just like Ravi and I do by using Devash Magazine. Until next Torah time! Torah time is produced by Hadar. Thank you to our amazing team, Hana, Michal, Sam, and Effie. And you too, Ima. Thank you also to David Chabinsky for recording and editing this episode. We hope you'll keep the conversation going at home with Devash, our weekly Parsha magazine. Check out the Pshat HaPsukim section for more interactive content. To learn more about Hadar's Children and Families Division, discover more resources, and subscribe to Devash, visit hadar.org kids. Mm-hmm.